Holy Power of Power, the Terry and Jesse Show. TJ stands for Truth and Justice. It stands for Totally Jesus. This is High Energy Blue Collar Catholic Radio. Terry and myself, we are we're just simple blue collar Catholics that have a PhD in common sense. And guess what? Uh, common sense isn't that common any longer. I'm reporting for duty into the church militant, under the lordship of Christ, under the patronage of Queen, the Queen Mother. Terry, what about you? Amen. I'm right with you, brother. I'm so happy to be here to share the good news of Jesus Christ every day here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today's topics, you know, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, who we have on once a month here on Virgin Most Powerful, he's in the States and he's making his rounds. And he was our, with uh, with our friends over at LifeSite News and talking about communion in the hand is a grievous evil that must be stopped. I agree with him. As a matter of fact, actions speak louder than words. Think about how many people believe in the real presence. I think he's nailed it. And mm-hmm. I, I think when we talk about this topic, uh, anybody who's receiving Holy Communion in the hand, I think you'll seriously consider not doing that in the future based on his information here. Also, a medical atrocity. The idea of this um, gender transition surgeries it's experimental, and this doctor talks and compares it to what the Nazis did during the war. I think he's, he's spot on. Also, I use it this way. My friend, uh, Dennis Prager, who I've met and been a very—I respect him tr- greatly. He says you have a moral obligation to be happy. Well, how do, was that work? Well, we got an article from Dr. Matthew who's going to share with us, be good or be happy, question mark, and show you how— Good philosophy breeds this, and the gospel teaches you, yes, to be happy in spite of adversity. How does that work? Well, we're going to talk about that. Jess, I have some good news that's going to blow you away. I have it right here. Where did I want I to hear it? Oh, Jess, yep. this is. I would love to meet this man, Brazilian President Jair uh, Balasio. He addressed the seventy-seventh session of the of the. Um, you know, basically, he's he's the president of of uh, Brazil. Guess what he did? He consecrated Brazil to the Blessed Mother days before oh, the presidential right. election. <laughs> yeah, see, I know you do. I mean, think about that. And you know what he did, Jess? This is what a layman does. He goes, oh, I announced man. that I made the act of consecration. And here's what he did, Jess. I can see you doing this. He's asking priests in Brazil to imitate him and saying and doing the consecration prayer. That's what I call leadership from you know, below in the sense of the church. And also this man, let's pray that he becomes, he you know, will be in the election. He'll re-win uh, the election because this obviously is a man who's pro-life, number one, pro-family, and pro-God. So I just want to say kudos. I would love to uh, see that happen in our country, Jess. Yes, uh, and he's tracking in the right direction because remember October is the month which the Catholic Church dedicates to the Most Holy Rosary. Yep. And uh, this is the devotion which Our Lady uh, has asked us to pray the daily rosary frequently in a lot of the approved Marian apparitions around the church. And so uh, this devotion to Our Lady and the rosary, this has been endorsed by several popes throughout the centuries. So uh, this uh, Brazilian president is tracking in the right direction. By the way, I'm over here right now in Harvard, Illinois, (laughs) Harvard, Illinois. I'm in a parish tonight, St. Joseph's Parish in Harvard, Illinois. Oh, good. Uh, I'm doing a retreat called the Call to Holiness Retreat. And I will be tonight speaking in in English and in Spanish. My first talk is at 530 in English. My second talk is 
7.30 in Spanish. I'll be here tomorrow as well. That's in St. Joseph's Catholic Church, Harvard, Illinois. Terry, you know, as I travel every single week to different parishes, I'm telling you, <laughs> I am meeting Tell us. some incredible huh? holy Catholic priests Great. That, that love what we're doing. Yeah. They love all these lay apostolates, the way they're podcasting. And uh, you you would you wouldn't be surprised how many priests tune into VMPR <laughs> just just to stay encouraged yeah. in their priestly ministry. So Terry, we got to keep on going until the rims rust. Well, no kidding, Jess. And you know what? I'm so glad you picked the first reading for today's mass. Oh, yeah. You talk about put your seatbelt on. <laughs> this is like uh, our, our instructions for the day and for our life. So I, it's from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. I can't wait for you to proclaim that, Jess. And then talk about how it applies to us today. Of course, yeah. St. Paul, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. Mm -hmm. He says the following. Brothers and sisters, notice again, this is important. Adam and Eve, yep. brothers and sisters. The male, based on the picking order of God, uh, the male is first because he's a patriarch and he has more responsibility. Brothers and sisters, draw your strength from politics. No. From the mainstream media. No. no. From the Lord. Amen. And from his mighty power. Mm -hmm. Not for, Don't draw your strength from, from nuclear power or from you know anything else from uh, the military. You draw your power from the Lord. Then St. Paul says, put on the armor of God. What does that mean? That means to dress yourself in a state of grace. We've got to live and we've got to put on the clothing of Christ, which means we have to live in a state of sanctifying grace. Then he tells us how to do this. Why, should, why do we have to live in a state of grace? Here it is. So that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. Ah, so we're in a war, church militant. There's a general out there that's got another military. This is called the devil and demons. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have to armor up. Because we're in a battle every single day until we breathe our last breath. St. Paul goes to talk to us. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood. In other words, our struggle is not necessarily with you know, Biden and Fauci and the communists and the modernists. No. He says this. But with the principalities, those are types of demons. With the powers, those are types of demons. With the world rulers of this present darkness. Those are type of demons. Mm -hmm. With the evil spirits in the heavens, those are demons. Then he goes, again, back, what do we have to do, soldiers? He says, therefore, put on the armor of God. This is another way of saying, live in a state of sanctifying grace. That's the way you're armored up. Why do we have to live like that? He tells us why. What are the benefits? That you may be able to resist on the evil day. And having done everything to hold your ground. In other words, without living in a state of sanctifying grace, without faith, prayer, and the life of the sacraments, you have no power to resist the tactics of the enemy. And you have no even tactics to resist your own disordered appetites, your own imperfections and defects as a result of concupiscence, he says. Now he tells you how to armor up piece by piece. So stand fast with your loins girded in truth. In other words, Roman soldiers always had a belt on. The belt held everything together. Cops have a belt. A fireman have a belt. Construction workers have a thick belt. That holds everything together. Paul St. Paul says, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate. In other words, righteousness, right living, obedience to the commandments, 
living the moral life, this is what protects your heart. It protects your inner life, your interior life. And it says, and your feet shod in readiness for the gospel of peace. You have to be ready from going to point A to point B and sharing the gospel of peace at the Sacred Heart Chapel, behind the mics on DMPR, at a parish with your family, with your friends, at a barbecue, uh, going to the post office, getting the mail, going to the bank. You have to always be ready and look for those opportunities to share the gospel of peace. Then it says, and in all circumstances, hold faith as a shield to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What does that mean? The devil and demons are constantly projecting what's called ordinary temptation to your mind, through your emotions. And how do you fight? You have to hold up your shield of faith. That's the only way you can block these arrows. And it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, that means you have to guard your mind. How do you guard your mind? You have to saturate your mind with the word of God. That's how you guard. That's the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, this is the only offensive weapon that St. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, 6. All the other weapons are defensive weapons, defensive in nature. This one, we go on the attack. How do we go on the attack? Like our Lord Jesus Christ did against the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. When we pray an ordered life of prayer, deliberate prayers, whether they're spontaneous, meditative, or contemplative, we are projecting the word of God into the cosmos. We are we are driving the enemy back. The enemy back. We are torturing the enemy with the word of God, and we are also we are also putting a hedge of protection around our family and our marriage. That's what the word of God does offensively. And then Saint Paul ends up by saying, "With all prayer and supplication, pray at every opportunity in the Spirit." That's why Vatican II says we should just be contemplatives in the modern world. To that end, be watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the holy ones and also for me, that speech may be given to be given me to open my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He says, I'm locked up because I'm I'm doing some power preaching with devil destroying <laughs> theology. And then he says, so that, it, so that I may have the courage to speak as I must. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, man, Jess, I'm glad we had more time for that commentary because that was excellent commentary. Folks, when we come back, before we do Fulton Sheen, yesterday we did a show on the hidden power of forgiveness. I've got a story of a lady whose husband was killed by a drunk driver. And when you hear what she had to go through and then how she was able to forgive this gentleman who's in, in prison right now, it's an amazing story of forgiveness. And it was the gospel that brought her to do this. And she shared that because of our show yesterday. You won't want to miss this story and much more when we come back to the Terry and Jesse show. And I'll say it again. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess Romero, Terry Barber, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family. I got a powerful story for you. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I teased you on that break at the end about a woman who wrote to us. She listened to our show yesterday about the hidden power of 
of forgiveness. Well, here's her story. She said that she was married to her husband for 21 years. They had three teenagers in high school, and at a, at a church event at 10 p.m., he was supposed to pick up their son, and he never made it because a drunk hit him and killed the, her husband in an accident in the car. And um, she was, you can imagine, she was very distraught over all this. And after an eight-year trial, eight years of this, the guy went to jail, you know, obviously. And um, her, eight years. Yeah, eight years of, of bitterness. Jeez. Okay? I mean, that's tough to live, eight years like that. Finally, her story is that uh, through, through our faith, through Jesus Christ, she was able to uh, go to the jail and go to the man that killed her husband and forgive him. And she tells the story of how powerful that was for her. She said, I, I was, I, she said, what grace and freedom I received, scripture became alive in my heart and my love for Jesus became powerful. And then I had true joy in my life back. And this woman now is speaking at, you know, the Magnificat. And she's actually in New York. She's listening to us on, on the Stations of the Cross in Rochester, New York. So I just want to say, Regina, keep it up because you're sharing that message of forgiveness. It's going to change people's lives. All right, let's let's bring in the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Fulkenstein. Full sheen ahead. And this is going to fit right into our show uh, with the idea of happiness and joy. Bishop Sheen said there are three rules of dealing with all those who come to us. And I know Jesse, I've seen Jesse practice this with, with her. Oh, my gosh. Three rules. Kindness, kindness, and kindness. In my book on how to share your faith with anyone, I say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so when we're dealing with sharing the gospel that Jesse, Jesse just was giving a commentary of when we go to the bank or the post office, we are ambassadors for Christ. And when we know that, we share that gospel with that joy. They see it in you. Jesse, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, wow, what makes you tick, dude? <laughs> and I say, it's Jesus, brother. I'm a high on Jesus. <laughs> so that's, right. that's the point Fulton Sheen is making. Kindness, kindness, and kindness. Jess, let's get to, our, to Bishop Athanasius Snyder's topic on communion in the hand. Yes, uh, he talks about... Mm -hmm. Communion and the hand being a grievous evil that must be stopped. Yes. He had this interview with John Henry Weston, a friend of ours. Yep. Uh, they discussed many topics, mm -hmm. but uh, he he actually also said that he's convinced that in spite of restricting the traditional Latin mass, the Vatican will not succeed to forbid totally the traditional mass. And I agree with him as well, Terry, because the Holy Spirit who leads the church into all truth will safeguard the mass of the ages that goes back all the way to the 4th and 5th century. Yep. And uh, again, the Latin mass to me is, is part of the church's tradition with a capital T. And I say that because it goes back to Pope Gregory the Great, 4th and 5th century. And as a matter of fact, I like to tell people that there were some people that were praying the Latin mass at the foot of the cross. Why do I say that? <laughs> because remember, there were Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. And many of those Roman soldiers came to faith in Christ at the time of Christ, as a result of witnessing his passion, death, and resurrection, remember the Roman centurion, sure. uh, he said, he prayed in Latin. He didn't pray in English. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. Latin was a language of the Roman soldiers, and I'm sure there was more than just the one that's documented in the Bible. So there were several soldiers 
praying in Latin yeah. at the foot of the cross as the son of God was dying. Uh, so the article also says he also insisted that the, the SSPX is not in schism and that therefore faithful Catholics are afraid to attend their chapels. And finally, this, the, by the way, he, he he spent years studying this. He was uh, appointed by the Vatican That's to right. study this. And so he's no lightweight when he yeah. says this. It's not like we're, I'm debating with another fellow lay Catholic. This is somebody that was actually an insider commissioned by the Vatican to study this. So who am I to argue with him? He's the, the Kazakh prelate, Bishop Schneider, urged Catholics always to receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist on the tongue and not in the hands. He's a bishop of German descent, by the way, and he was very convinced that the traditional mass will not die. Two generations have been able to grow up in that traditional rite of the mass and to live in it. Therefore, the Vatican, he says, will not succeed. They will cause a wide, large counter-reaction because there will be the good Catholics. They will go underground, and they will not, that will, they will not, that will not stop them. That is to say, Bishop Schneider predicted that many traditional Catholics and their priests will go underground rather than abandoning the ancient liturgy and its sacraments. Why? Bishop Schneider said, because your faith is so strong. And this prohibition will probably be a dead letter. And it will not last long. Asked by John Henry Weston about the claim that the SSPX, which exclusively uses the traditional Latin Missal and the traditional sacraments, is in schism, Bishop Snyder responded with the words <coughs> that the SSPX is surely not schismatic. And by the way, he goes into this in his last book. He's got a whole chapter on it. Yeah, Jesse, you let me just throw this book up yeah. front right up here. So it's Bishop Snyder's book, The Catholic Mass. We do carry it in stock because I think it's so essential for people to understand the sacrifice of the Mass. And uh, you can get it by calling 877-526-2151. But his point about uh, the um, Pope Pius X group, he says two things, Jesse, that I think are really critical. One, yes. Pope Francis has given authorization for the community, the priests, to have met weddings that are le legitimate. So the Pope has given him some jurisdiction. So that, that tells you he's not a schismatic. Number two, uh, the intention of the Pope Pius X at Mass is they're always paying for the pontiff, whether it's Pope Francis or Pope Benedict or Pope John Paul II or going all the way back. So they understand that who the Pope is. They see that. They just see things that they want a traditional liturgy. They, want, they don't want any of this modern um, uh, stuff that's going on where they're compromising on morality. And I don't blame them. So I think he makes a very convincing argument about the Society of St. Of, of Pius X, that it's legit to go to there. And uh, I, again, I, at one point, I was not of that opinion, Jesse. I actually changed years ago on that point because of Bishop Snyder. Well, Terry, he's a successor of the Apostles, so I know there's a lot of lay Catholics that will that will uh, have a different opinion. Sure. Sure. But, but guess what? Any lay Catholic, uh, they're not successors of the Apostles with the weight of a bishop. Right. And so this bishop has been commissioned to study this. And so who am I to, to say, well, I know more than him. I don't know more than him. He knows way more than I do, especially when it comes to the liturgy. Of course. He and, does. And, and, and to the uh, and, and to the church's uh, uh, teachings on, on or, 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 or the relationship of the SSPX with the church. Yep. And Terry, you know, again, it, there's so many abuses that you and me have seen. I mean, oh, we can just document them. Balloons, banners, I mean, and butterflies. I mean, just the other day, that there's a, there was an article of a, of a priest who celebrated the Novus Ordo Mass 
on the beach on a surfboard in the ocean with a bunch of kids. Yeah. I, 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 I've seen priests in, in wrestling masks, celebrating masks. I've seen priests riding scooters up, up the aisle and down the aisle. I've seen, I saw a priest fly in yeah, a monstrance with the blessed sacrament on a drone. I mean, this is the stuff of nuttiness, Terry, that this is why people have run over to the SSPF, to be honest oh, yeah. with you. Of course. I mean, yeah. So, but going back to the article. Yeah, go for uh, it. The, the, the section that Bishop, that you quoted, because I want the Bishop's words, because I don't want them to say, oh, Terry and Jesse, they're pro-. Let me just quote to you what he says. Yeah. So you don't get, start emailing me. Um, email Bishop Schneider. He says, or get his book on the mass. He says this. Bishop Schneider pointed out that, quote, this is Bishop Schneider, not Jesse Romero or Terry. Okay. Pope Francis, so get his book on the Mass and don't argue with me. Argue with the bishop, and I'm not going to argue with him. Pope Francis granted habitual, ordinary, universal faculties right. of confession to the priests of the Society of St. Pius X. That's right. Close quote. In addition, by granting the SSPX the right to assist at marriages with the approval of the local bishops. The Pope is exercising his jurisdictional powers. How could he exercise such a power over a schismatic priest? By granting these faculties to the SSPX, the bishop went on to say, the Pope is declaring de facto, implicitly, that they are not schismatic. That's Pope Bishop Schneider, who has studied this as an insider assigned by the Vatican. That's what he says. That's right. Now, the next paragraph says this. It says, insisting that Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre desired to be fully recognized by the Holy See, Bishop Schneider pointed to the emergency situation in the church. Even quoting Cardinal Gerhard Mueller's words right. about the hostile takeover mm-hmm. of the church uh, as an explanation for the irregular status of the SSPX. In his view, the SSPX is not able currently, temporarily, to be fully under the control and submission of the Holy See, is justified and in no way schismatic. Here's my comment. This is They're what clear. I would say. Yeah. What, what Bishop Snyder has just said about the current status of the SSPX. I know it would cause it would cause a lot of Catholics that consider themselves Novus Ordo conservatives. It would it would it would cause them heartburn. It would even cause FSSP parish attending Catholics heartburn to hear the statement that the SSPX is not in schism. I know people fight over this issue yeah. like it's the hill to die on. Yeah. Guess what? It's not the hill to die on for me. I'm well, not a bishop. This is okay. Uh, the SSPX Catholics, and I know many of them. Guess what? They're my brothers in Christ. If, if, if the Vatican tells me to call Protestants my brothers in Christ and the Orthodox are called them my brothers in Christ. Exactly. And, and, if, and if some other documents <clears throat> uh, ask, ask us to call the Muslims our brothers as well, then you then guess what? I'm going to call the SSPX my brothers in Christ as well. Because, Terry, this is an internal family feud. That's right. And far be it from me to weigh in on this topic. I'm a layperson. I'm not a successor of the apostle. Bishop Schneider is, and he knows more about the SSPX issue than probably any Catholic bishop in the world because he was assigned, he was tasked with the assignment of investigating the status of the SSPX. I'm done. The way I say it, Jess, we're not in management, we're in sales. 
Okay, yeah. that's yeah. not for us to speak on. We quote the vigors of Christ. We quote yeah. the successors of the apostles. And again, and they're my brothers in Christ. Exactly. An SSPS Catholic is my brother in Christ. And I got to tell you, Jesse, my experience at airports when I've met them and I've kept on conversations with yeah. Fulton Sheen, and we have so much in common on orthodoxy. Oh, Are you kidding me? So I want to encourage people to get the Catholic Mass. It's on our website. And if you if you get if you already have that book, the another book by Jesse loves the title of Bishop Snyder's last book. Um, it's called <laughs> The Springtime That Never Came. And I'm still waiting. Yeah, you're still, still waiting. waiting. Well, that book we also keep in stock. <laughs> we love Bishop Snyder. I'll tell you another interesting fact about him. He is a member of the Opus Angelorum, the work of the Holy Angels. So he has a great love for uh, the angels. And his book, The Catholic Mass, is so good. If you read this book, you'll be so catechized. There's a whole chapter about communion in the hand that he goes into that also. But pick it up by calling 877-526-2151 or go to vmpr.org. You owe it to yourself to understand what the source and summit of the Christian life is, the Eucharist, the Mass. Stay with us, family. We're going to come right back with more inspirational Catholic teachings on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Wow, Jesse, Jesse, I got to tell you something, brother. Uh, You know, we have some great bishops out there who really are willing to speak the truth and charity, and Bishop Schneider is one of them. And what's interesting, Jesse, two of of, them, there's Archbishop Vigano, Yes, there's Cardinal Burke, there's Cardinal Mueller. 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 There's about five of them. Strick, Strickland. But you know what? We've got Strickland every uh, Tuesday here. And I'm going to tell you, I just recorded his show Tuesday, yesterday for next Tuesday. And I've never heard a bishop call out his brother bishops as much as he just did last week or yesterday. (laughs) And he was like on fire. And so I want people to know after the Terry and Jesse show next Tuesday— you're going to want to hear what Bishop Schneider has to, uh, Bishop Strickland has to say, because he's talking about the crisis in the church, and he said that we have to go back to the deposit of faith and knock off all this, you know, crummy stuff that's being put out. I mean, Terry, this is it's a called, it's called it's called speculative theology. Yeah, well, that's all the garbage that's coming in. Yeah, speculative theology, aka modernism. There you go. That's it. Jess, let's get to the next topic, brother. Yeah, well, there's uh, there's obviously some good doctors left. Mm-hmm. There's a pediatric surgeon who's comparing the gender transitions to Nazi experiments. Spot on. He's calling it a medical atrocity. Yeah. His name's Dr. Michael Egnor. Mm-hmm. He's a pro-life pediatric surgeon. He's a medical school professor. He recently spoke out against the ongoing trend of addressing gender dysphoria mm-hmm. with hormonal and surgical interventions, calling the practices a medical atrocity and medical malpractice. Dr. Michael Egnor, a professor of neurosurgery and pediatrics at the Stony Brooks University Medical School in New York, spoke with the Federalist editor during a podcast interview uh, on Friday about the so-called transgender transitions in modern medicine. Here's what he said. The doctor, the good doctor says, something I've come to realize with the growth of gender-affirming surgery and gender-affirming medical care 
is that we're right in the middle of an extraordinary medical atrocity. And I really felt that I had to speak out, Dr. Egnor said in the interview. He said, I'm very pro-life. I very much oppose abortion. I think it's a medical atrocity. He added going on to express similar views regarding the steps taken to affirm a person's gender identity. As a professor, the doctor explained that he discusses various medical experiments which occurred in the past and are now condemned, such as those conducted by Nazis. Yes. The good doctor says, we point out that at the t- at that time, at the time, all of these atrocities were widely accepted in the medical community. Uh, eugenics was taught in practically all medical schools for many years when the do- Nazi doctors were committing their medical atrocities. Dr. Egnor recalled that he tells medical students, quote, we're doing bad things that people will be talking about in 50 years, and we don't necessarily know what they are because we're in the middle of it, close quote. <laughs> Terry, my comment is this doctor has a properly formed moral conscience based on the word of and, God. And what's, That's very obvious. And what's really interesting right now, um, people are responding to our show. Dr. French, who we've had on many times. He has uh, a lot to say about this, and we probably will get him on the air next week to talk to ch- chime in on this topic. Uh, also, um, just got a another uh, a, a com- another comment. Someone's ordering ten copies of Bishop Snyder's book. Uh, if you ever want to contact me, I get ten or twenty texts during the radio shows. <laughs> Maybe you think thirty or forty today, but my cell number is six six one. Nine seven two seven eight seven two. Yes, I'm probably the only knucklehead on radio. Yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> that gives out yeah. the cell number. Yeah. And you and know nobody does. Yeah. And you know, Jesse, and we'll get back to this article, but I want to just mention because you're transparent, Terry. You're the real deal. Well, That's why you do I, that. I get. I got a call from a young lady last night who's pregnant, thinking of how what's she going to do with her baby. We were able to help her. We try to help everybody. You never know. Like Jess says, we have to be at the service of the gospel. But Jess, Amen. this doctor and Dr. French and others uh, are, are really just uh, putting their life on the line by cr- criticizing these people because everybody from the federal government, from the uh, so-called president of the United States, is saying, no, this is a good thing. And so I respect doctors who come out and say, no, no, this is wrong. This is immoral. Uh, I, I, I like what he said here is that this is a malpractice issue. You shouldn't be doing this. This is malpractice for what you're were designed to do as a doctor, mutilating people. Come on. Yeah. He, he talks here about medical malpractice. These gender transitions are very dangerous. Dr. Egner classified gender dysphoria as a psychiatric illness, which should not be treated with hormonal or surgical intervention. Oh, bingo, Terry. He, yeah. he hit he, he, he nailed it just precisely. Exactly. This is it. This is a mental illness. Exactly, Jesse. It it doesn't require surgery. It doesn't require mutilation of your body. It requires healing of the soul. That those are the faculties. Yes. The intellect and the will must be healed by faith, prayer, and the sacraments, and they must be reoriented towards God. That's the answer. It is, and the you. Artic- Jesse, yeah. let me just jump in because another doctor, I read the article saying the same thing. And he said, young people, when they're 12, 13 years of age, they're going through all kinds of changes in their body. OK, and if you just let them go through the process of getting, you know, through it all and not jump to conclusions. Oh, well, uh, yeah, you must be a boy. No, <laughs> let, let it go through the process, because <clears throat> so many people, they go, oh, man, I, I, yeah, I went through that. I've had people tell me that they, you went through that. 
Yeah, when I, and they're now 50 years old. And they said it was just because I saw something and put it in my head. And, you know, for about a year, I thought, well, am I, should I have been a boy when I was a girl? I said, really? And, but they went through it. See, here's what's happening is this doctor's nailing it. <clears throat> is that Terry, Terry, you know who just said Tulsi Gabbard, yeah, there you Democrat go. that just left the party. She would, she's on YouTube saying, I had this issue when yeah. I was a little girl. Yeah. I thought it was a boy. I was a tomboy. There I gave it the trucks. That's yeah, right. she says, and it took me a while to adjust that I'm a girl, that I'm a go. lady. That's my point, Jess. Let's continue on the article, brother. Yeah. So Dr. Egner described the surgical intervention as very dangerous, very yeah. inappropriate. Puberty blockers, he says, can cause a variety of negative side effects amongst children, including depression, suicidality, yep. and unknown impacts to fertility later in life. Those who engage in cross-sex hormone use also have high, much higher hormone levels than those who do not even compared to the members of the sex, which is being imitated. Dr. Egnor said that describing these drugs for a psychiatric condition is completely out of bounds of any kind of rational medical practice. He condemned gender-affirming surgery similarly, although he noted that it is even more radical. Dr. Egnor emphasized the importance of speaking out against gender-affirming care, because most people know that this is, this is full, this, they know this is garbage, it's exactly. garbage medicine. The article says the vast majority of people in the country, says Dr. Egnor, and in this world know full well that this is garbage. Men are not men are not women, and women are not men. Surgically mutilating mentally ill mentally ill children and adults is not ethical medical practice, and almost everyone knows this. Close quote, Terry. I believe that this issue that we're talking about right now, yes, with having these transgender transgender men who think they're women, right. you know, dressing nasty and dance, sure. dancing. Dancing nasty and reading books to kids in public schools, right. starting from kindergarten. I think this issue here that we're talking about is going to cost the Democrats the election in two weeks. I hope so, brother. But, you know, 45,000 people who have gone through these sex changes have now on a website have said, I regret it. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the process was so difficult for me. I realized it was a mistake. And so many of these witnesses are on YouTube saying, why didn't my parents stop this? Why did the doctor allow this? I was just having a hard time at my at age 14 in my life. And they decided, you know, to cut my breasts off and do this and do that. And now I regret it. But I'm talking 45,000 people. How many people haven't come out and said it? That's just the people who said, I'm willing to put my name on this website and say, this has been a disaster. Terry, Tulsi Gabbard, if she was a little girl right now, yeah. uh, she, she, she would have been mutilated because, again, she went through these psychological hangups as a kid, and right now she'd be paying the price for it. Yes. Uh, the, the article ends by saying, the doctor acknowledged that students are terrified to agree with his stance, and many professionals risk their careers by taking a stance against the ideology. Yeah, even a doctor could get canceled. Think about all the doctors that are part of the, the frontline Big doctors time. and how how they've been treated by our government in big tech and big pharma. Yeah. The article says he also encouraged, however, medical professionals, parents, and other members of the public to do so, saying that if we all speak up, that's right. They LGBT activists will vanish. I agree. Dr. Egg. Yeah. He's not the only doctor to voice concerns over transgender medical problems. No. You have many other doctors here that are doing the same. Yeah. I agree. And Jesse, that's what he just said. Speak up. See, we can't be silent among all this evil that's going on. And Jesse, I don't want to give too much credit to the devil. 
I really don't. But when you think about what Satan does in reversing things, this is right up his alley, convincing people, oh, yeah, yeah, you're not a boy, you're a girl. I would think that there's also a demonic aspect in uh, this whole issue of changing sex and basically uh, poo-pooing God's permissive will that you were born as a woman and now I want to be a a man. It seems to me that uh, this is right up the devil's uh, line of work. Of course it is because the devil's a liar and the devil, look at the way he operated in the Garden of Eden to Eve. He whispered into her ear, yeah. and that's what Father Ripperger says. This is what the devil does. He calls out the talking snake in our ear. Mm. The devil whispered and, and told Eve, did God really say? Just fill in the blank from yeah, there. exactly. So he's doing today, he's whispering into the ear of many people that are living in mortal sin. Yes. And he's saying, did God really say you're a boy? No, you're a girl. Did God really say you're a girl? No, you're a boy. That talking snake in our ear... This is Satan or a demon. And this happens, Terry, when people live in mortal sin. Because makes- when you're in mortal sin, as Father Ripperger says, you have psychological compatibility with a demon. And now they're clinging on to you. They're following you. And they're talking to you. Jesse, I will take that clip. It'll go on YouTube because that's exactly what's happening right now. Folks, you're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. Yes, we share the gospel and expose yeah. error with the good news, with truth. Amen. And as, as Bishop Snyder, no, Bishop Joseph Strickland told us right here. I got an article right here. He said, lay people, speak up and warn. He says, correct bishops who teach that don't teach that conform to the Catholic Church teachings. So he's telling us that. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. <laughs> to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. So, should we be good or happy? <laughs> happy and good. This is this is an yeah, this is an ever this is a uh, an insight from Father Service Pincakers. He's a Dominican. Dominican Thomas. It's it's a long article, so I just redacted it. Let me just share with you the meat of it, and so we can have a discussion. So yeah. I'm just going to jump around and take sure. some only some parts. He says, Doctor, the Father says, that's why Kant calls us to locate morality exclusively within the realm of duty, what he calls the categorical imperative. Do what is right without exception, independently of your happiness. That's one solution to the problem of the relationship between good and being happy. But what a drag, especially to the secular mind's increasingly uncloseted hedonism. Do something that doesn't make me happy? Deny my right to self-care? Are you kidding me? Yet if duty can't justify and motivate moral action, what's the alternative? Let me jump down a little bit. Yeah. There thus appears to be a dilemma at the heart of morality. On the one hand, a morality of duty, doing good independently of what you desire, may provide individual and social stability, but it comes at the cost of not being able to do what you really want to do. That is what makes you happy. On the other hand, having license to do whatever you desire may, like Pinocchio's Pleasure Island, make you feel happy, perhaps even intensely so, but that comes at the price of individual degradation and ultimately societal collapse. It seems then that we individually and collectively are forced to make an impossible decision. Should I do my duty 
or should I be happy? Should we live according to the more to a moral law, or should we let people do what they want? Let me jump down. Classical liberal and libertarian political philosophy thinks it has found a way to thread the needle on this predicament. Yeah. Based on a conception of autonomy, the solution takes the following form. I get to do whatever I, I want to do, provided I respect your right to do the same. That's libertarian thought. Of course it is. The, the we in this model is reduced to the procedural. The only thing that binds us is a system of laws that prevent people from violating each other's autonomy. Meanwhile, everyone's free to do what they want, when they want, and with whom they want to do it, provided there's consent. Okay, that's the blueprint for anarchy. Absolutely. Let me jump down. Here's, here's the, the really the Catholic option. Yes. He says, there is, however, a fourth option for how to relate to being good with being happy. What if it was your duty to be happy? What if it was in your self-interest to be selfless? What if you could align your deepest desires with the goal of making an objectively good person, meaning that you that what you want most in life, by definition, what makes you happiest, is one and the same as what morally you should do. Exactly. This, in a nutshell, is the Catholic vision of morality. And one of the greatest recent promulgators is the late father, Service Pinkers. He's a Dominican, passed away in 2008. He's well known within Catholic circles for his brilliant Vatican II-inspired work, synthesizing the different strands of moral theology, natural law, scripture, the church fathers, Thomism, the manualist tradition, the magisterium, and spirituality into a vibrant, cohesive whole. Father Pinker's insights into the nature of morality and moral freedom hold great wisdom for non-Catholics as well. He writes in his book, Morality, the Catholic View, he says this, quote, from our birth, we have received moral freedom as a talent to be developed, as a seed containing the knowledge of truth and the inclination towards goodness and happiness, an inclination diversified according to what the ancients called the seeds of virtue. This moral freedom, Father Pinkers explains, is not a freedom of indifference, meaning a freedom whose only purpose is to show obedience to external commands and to fulfill subjective desires rather this freedom is what he calls a freedom for excellence which is the freedom to grow in virtue and thereby conform your life your whole being body mind soul desires emotions to what is objectively good and therefore the only source of authentic happiness and he ends by saying here's where he nails it yes uh, father says about authentic happiness freedom for excellence engenders a moral science that directly takes up the question of happiness and the absolute good. It is a science that regards the question of happiness as a decisive, as decisive for the integral ordering of one's life and the formation of one's character. That's the cash value right there. The inter this is this sounds like this is taken from Thomistic thought. Exactly. The in integral ordering of one's life and the formation of one's character. This science is organized according to the principle of virtues that strengthen freedom and refine human action and is brought to completion in the study of laws and its educational role, a role that firmly brings together wisdom and love and even constraint, which is sometimes necessary in the struggle against evil. And it ends by saying, 
Yet it is it is enough to say now that the choice between happy and being good is ultimately a false one. Father Pinker shows we need not choose between the two. The trick is to see that if duty means doing good no matter what, and what is truly good is living according to God's will, and God's will is that each of us is freely that each of us is freely becoming become whole and permanently happy, then it is our duty to freely become holy and permanently happy Amen. no matter what. So much more than a set of rules, in other words, here it is, Catholic morality is a recipe for joy, close quote. Well said. The proof in the pudding is, you'll see uh, medical studies that say that uh, practicing Catholics yes. in the U.S., have the lowest rate of suicide. Yes. Studies say practicing Catholics have the lowest rate of divorce. I mean, suicide and divorce bring sadness and sorrow into a family for generations. Again, we see that practicing Catholics, because of faith and prayer and the sacraments, they're able, they're, they're able to rise above these things, Terry. Yeah, Jesse, let me bring it to the practical level, action item. Yeah. Yeah. Bishop Sheen, first cassette tape back in the 70s, I heard from Bishop Sheen on philosophy of life. He said, go out and help your neighbor. I have lots of people who call me who are depressed, lonely. And the first thing I asked them to do is go out and serve, go out and volunteer at the food bank or at the chapel or go out and, and visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. In other words, be proactive because what happens is when you go out and serve your neighbor, for example, let's say there's a group, and I know this group, when people are having babies, little girl, women are having their babies, there's a group that delivers meals to the young family so that mom and dad can have hot meals when the baby is brought home. This is a great service. This is how you get to be happy because when you serve, for example, like I said last night, I got a call, young lady who needs help. She's, got, she's pregnant and she needs help to keep the baby, okay? We're helping her. We're, we're walking with her. We're, we're keeping in touch with her. We're financially helping her. We're doing whatever it takes. Now, can you imagine, Jesse, how happy I'll be? And I don't even, I won't see that baby, you know, another six months from now when it's born. Uh, maybe, maybe in heaven, please, God, he'll say, hey, man, do you remember when you helped my mama? No, I don't. But the point of it is, I'm happy just to know that I can help somebody who's in need. And see, that's what Fulton Sheen says. To, be, to, to make that decision, you have to make the decision to go out and help your neighbor. And therefore, when you serve, that's when your greatest happiness comes in your life. Not when you're served, but when you serve. That's the Catholic approach to life. That's my take, Jess. Terry, here's something that, I'm, that I've heard from you for years. Yeah. You're always quoting Abandonment to Divine Providence yep, Pierre by Jean-Pierre de Cassade. Yep. Yeah, I always do. And he, he says this. Our major concern is with doing the will of God, yes. which is manifested moment by moment in the duties of our state in life. You nailed it. And by this means to live in union yes. with God here on earth. That's right. So as to live in union with him in heaven for all eternity. Each of us is called to be a saint, yep. which is the work God will accomplish in us if we give him permission. Yep. Let us all give God permission to make us saints. He has called us to be and to pray daily for the conversion of all sinners for the grace of final perseverance. That's what it's all about, Jess. You nailed it. 
Yeah. Well, you taught me that years ago. Well, right? you know, it's, it's because, you know what, Jesse, just real quick. Yeah. I was a teenager in high school when a Jesuit priest gave me that book, and it changed my approach to life. That my, it's a, And Our Lady of Fatima says that to do your duties in your state and life, that's part of living the Fatima message. So, again, when I meet people who are upset, come on, stay focused on your duties, whether you're a wife or a husband, get your, your, your student, do your homework. You're pleasing God by doing your daily duties. That glass of water that I gave my wife every single morning before she gets out of bed, I'm serving Christ by serving my wife. Yes. See, and that's how simple. I know some people say, Jesse, come on, it can't be that simple. Hey, Jess, sometimes we try and make things too complicated. Here at Virgin Most Powerful, we simplify things because life is simple. It's as simple as serving Christ, getting to know Christ, and doing your duties in your state and life. End of story. Terry, you can and uh, you can only be happy yeah. if you're pursuing holiness. Amen. If, if all you're pursuing is happiness, you will you may not necessarily become holy. But if you pursue holiness first, happiness is a byproduct. There you go. And I can prove it to you because in the in the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. When it says, you know, our Lord in the eight Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. The Greek word makarios can also be translated, happy are you, happy are you. So the Greek in, in that the apostles use in Matthew chapter 5, blessed, makarios can be translated blessed or happy. So in other words, to, to be blessed, to pursue, pursue a life of holiness is to become happy, truly happy. And I'll tell you. The only way you can truly be happy if you have an answer to death, and the answer to death is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. What a show, Jess. I love it. When I say <laughs> we're too blessed to be stressed and we're too anointed to be disappointed, it's because we know the meaning and purpose of life, brother. Wow. Terry, you know, you know something? Uh, Rush Limbaugh, rest in peace. He was a Catholic. Most people don't know. He said, pursue your passion in life and you'll never work a day in your life. Guess what? Since I medically retired from the L.A. Sheriff's Department 20 years ago, I haven't worked a day in my life. I love it. Amen, brother. <laughs> Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? State of sanctifying grace. Amen. We still live in a state of mortal sin. That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Good. Here at St. Joseph's Catholic Church, Harvard, Illinois. Awesome. Uh, 5 o'clock in English, uh, Spanish, 7 o'clock in Spanish. How to live in a state of sanctifying grace. Terry, take it away. You got it. Folks, remember our lady said at Fatima, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Uh, you get your joy when you see when you make those sacrifices and knowing that you're helping a soul to know Christ. Sign me up, and I hope I can sign all of our listeners up to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church. Thanks again for supporting us here during the Gospel of Jesus Christ.